decided to have a look at what they're doing. All right. Okay. Let's get started. Uh, a couple people are out tonight. That's all right. That's why we're recording it. So good to have everybody who's joining us. We are starting with lesson three, uh, page 15, I believe it is in your notes. Um, God's creating power. But before we do, um, I wanted to give anybody who had um, uh, everybody a chance if you had any questions before we began. So we finished up last lesson on the Trinity. Um, ended with those bad Trinity analogies. Hopefully, hopefully you remember those. Stop comparing God to an egg um, or three. All right, we're back. Let me share this again. All right, uh, day one. Father is, is attributed with creation. The Son, First Corinthians or Colossians chapter one, it says, for by him... But if you go back and look at the context, that whole first chapter of Colossians 1 is talking about Jesus. And here's what it says about him. For by Jesus, that is the Son of God, all things were created. And it really means all things, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Um, and so uh, Jesus is attributed with being the creator. Finally, um, the Holy Spirit, Psalm 104, verse 30. When you send your spirit, they are created. And that word created there is, is that same word that references what we're talking about, the creation, that God is the creator. That is attributed here to the spirit, and you renew the face of the whole earth, okay? So just an opportunity when we talk about there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, who is that God? Well, it is the God that we are going to meet throughout the rest of scripture. It's not just God the Father, as though he's absent of the Son and the Spirit. It is the one true triune God. That is who is there at the beginning, right? Now, notice it doesn't say that in the beginning, God came into existence, or God was created, or, or God started his existence, no, because God has always been. This is part of what we talked about again in our last lesson on God being eternal, right? God has no beginning. He has no end. There was never a time when God was not. So in the beginning, God, I love that. Um, there, there's just this God already is. When time began, God already was. Um, and who is this God? He is the God who is going to bring all things into existence. All right. So that's day one. <clears throat> day two verses six through eight and god said let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water so god made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it and it was so god called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day so the earth was filled without form correct yeah, um, all of this is going to kind of come into as God separates water from land and all of that. And that's why the, the, the very the first verse starts that way, right? The earth was formless and empty. Now God is going to start filling that emptiness and that formlessness. He's going to be giving it form. He's going to be filling it with things. Um, and, it'll, and it'll take shape. Age. Yeah, where we think it is sure. that there's a new creation to everything. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. I'm sure the question will come up, but we'll talk about it even if it doesn't. Um, so God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God is creating this expanse from uh, in, in between water. There's water above and there's water below. And we kind of know what those things are, right? We talk about the atmosphere, right? It, it always kind of reminds me of this. Um, you know, we were flying this week and you get on an airplane and you see the condensation on the windows of the airplane. Like you, you think like there's nothing up there, right? It's just this empty, you know, um, space. Uh, there, there's nothing up there. And then you like, you realize, oh yeah, there's, there's the atmosphere is water. That's what it is, right? I mean, clouds, we know that when it rains, we get that, but you know, I forget that kind of in between. And so 
Um, when we talk about the water that is above, we, we know what that is, right? We, this is not a stretch. This is not something that is foreign to us. Um, and then the water below, obviously we know, um, we know that, um, right? We're talking about seas and oceans and we'll get to all that um, in, in our next, next day. But the, the separation between the two, here's what God calls it. He calls it sky, right? Um, the sky is what separates the water above and the water below. Um, what is the water above the sky? Um, uh, it, could it be something other than just what you and I know as the clouds, as the atmosphere? Um, turn the page and take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Now, this is moving ahead of chapter, and we're going to look at this more closely. But we get this, this little nugget. It says, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So we, we get kind of an image of this water above and water below. And it's talking about, well, it hadn't rained yet this early in creation. God hadn't watered everything. Well, how did he water it then? Well, there's kind of this natural irrigation system built into the world. Um, and what I think is interesting is we still see this being the case. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite shows, I don't think it's still on, but it was on for a long time. Um, it, was, it was a guy, uh, Bear Grylls is his name, and they would just drop him out in the most random places around the world, and he would try and survive a man, I think that was the name of it. And he would have a certain amount of time where he'd have to survive and make it to safety, and I remember one of the, I think the ones that blew my mind the most, is they dropped him like out in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Um, and it's like, well, where do you go if you want water? You dig, you dig down because there are streams, there are rivers, there's water beneath the surface. And we see this already. God, it says God had not caused them to rise up and, and water the face of the earth. So we still see remnants of this today. However, in Genesis chapter seven, we do see it rain. And we see it more than rain. Um, this is the beginning of the, uh, the flood. In the 600th year of Noah's life, and on the 17th day of the second month, and on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. This is one of those things what, that I struggled with as a kid. Now, my name is Noah, so I kind of felt like I, I had to know this story really well. But I always struggled with this when I was younger because it's like, okay, so the flood tells us that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and yet the highest mountain peak in the world was covered with water. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm trying to do the math, there's no way that rain for 40 days and 40 nights could rain that much that it would cover everything. And yet, when you take a look at Genesis chapter 7, that's not the picture of just it started to rain and rain and rain and rain and really rain, no. Um, it says that all of the springs of the great deep burst forth. So those little underground rivers and creeks and canals, right? That God let rise gently to the surface to water everything. Now all of that water that was stored beneath the surface of the earth burst forth like volcanoes of water just bursting forth around the globe. And then on top of that, it's not just rain. The floodgates are open. And so this kind of gives us a picture. And some people, some people think that before the flood, the, the world was kind of surrounded by this like water canopy. And the purpose of it would have been to kind of evenly heat and keep the climate relatively mild. Um, and yet when the flood came, God just ripped that open and then the water just all came gushing down. Now, if it did that for 40 days and 40 nights, yeah, I think you could flood the earth, right? So again, there, there's, there's just this another opportunity where, you know, people will point things out in the Bible and they'll say, well, this is so stupid. It could never happen. Now, some things are miraculous. Some things do not have a logical, reasonable explanation. We simply, we, we, we trust that the Bible is the word of God and that our God does not lie. But there are other things, and I would say probably even many things that people just kind of like, you know, throw off and say, well, you know, this could never happen. And yet it's like, no, I mean, 
you think about it, you look at the words in the scripture, um, it absolutely could, right? And that would just kind of be one of those examples. So a long way of saying sky on day two. How about on day three? Verses 9 through 13, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning. The third day, what did God create on day three? Well, he's doing a couple of things. First of all, he's gathering all of that water um, that is beneath the sky. He's gathering it into one place. And he's separating it now from dry, dry land. So we've got the oceans. We've got the seas. We've got dry land. Um, and then on that dry land, God is now bringing about vegetation, plants, trees, vegetables, fruit, all of those kinds of things. Um, filling it now with, with plants. Take a look in your notes, um, page, page 16, that first bullet point under day three. Seven times in this chapter, we meet some variation of the phrase according to their kinds. We just saw it a bunch um, in these few verses. The Hebrew word translated kind here is roughly equivalent to our scientific classification of family. So if you remember in science, right, you kind of break things down. Um, you've got the, the, the various scientific classifications. You start really wide and really general, and then you narrow it down to really specific, right? So you've got family, or I'm sorry, you've got species. So, so you and I are mammals, right? Uh, but we're not whales. So as you, you kind of you know, narrow the focus, you use different classifications. You've got species, um, genus, family, order, class, subphylum, and phylum. And what's interesting is the word that is used here for kind is roughly equivalent to family. So notice where that is in the order, right? It's not super general as though God created mammals, whales, and then we sort of just kind of came out of that. But it's also not super specific that every single different kind of animal and insect that exists today was necessarily there at creation, right? Um, God is, this is the genius of it. He's kind of right in the middle and saying, I'm going to be specific, but not so specific. I'm going to be general, but not widely general, right? Um, so here's the question. What is God saying when he repeatedly tells us that he creates plants and animals according to their kinds, according to their family? What do you think he's saying? We have these things, and we're going to look at a couple of them later on in this lesson. Um, we, we call them natural laws or laws of science. They are things that you and I observe in the world. Maybe not us, but people smarter than me. Um, observe these things and say, this is a law. This is a scientific law, meaning there are no known exceptions to these in the universe. And what is interesting here is God is saying when he creates these plants, when he creates these animals, that they are going to reproduce according to their family, according to their kind. And what's interesting is we're going to see that this is a scientific law. It's called the law of genetics. So if you plant an apple seed, you could plant 5 million of them. How many orange trees are you going to get? You can breed every last single kind of dog you have ever known, or you could even imagine. How many cats are you going to get? It's a different family right? Now you can crossbreed and you can get some funky different kinds of dogs and you can cross pollinate and get some really radical different kinds of plants. 
but you can't take an apple seed, you can't take two dogs and come up with something that is foreign to the family. And we look at that in the scientific community and say, that is law, that's the way it is. And as Christians, we go and we know why. Because this is how our God created it. Um, and I think it's just something like that, that is so simple that when you start to look at creation versus evolution, there are so many more things when it comes to evolution that require there to be exceptions to the laws of science. Whereas in creation, we look at the scientific laws and say, yep, yeah, because that's how God made it, right? Um, and this would be just one of those examples. So I love this little tidbit that we see this phrase and you kind of like, okay, God, we get it. You don't need to repeat the phrase according to their kinds every single time, but he does because he wants you to know that it's not a mistake that when you plant an apple seed, you don't get an orange tree, right? It is like that by God's very design, okay? Day three. Day four, verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the, true, the two great lights. Uh, he made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day, what is God making on day four? That expanse in the sky, um, sky as he called it. God says, now I'm going to fill it with light sources. And there's two great ones, one that's gonna govern the day, one that's gonna govern the night. And then there's just going to be this countless number of stars around. Um, and so we, we know the sun and the moon and the stars. Um, this is what God is creating now on day four. Um, <clears throat> I like this question. Some people, you know, are enamored with this. And we know that the universe is, is even still expanding. Right? Scientists will talk about that. Um, and so people will ask the, the question, you know, why is the universe so big and so awesome? Um, the Bible tells us that too. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Um, if you've ever been to an art gallery um, and you walk up to this, you know, beautiful painting and you look at that you probably have never asked yourself a question like this why is this painting so amazing so wonderful so beautiful of course what's the answer to it? because the artist made it that way because he's just that gifted because she's just that talented because this person has such a supreme amount of skill that they made it that way and so the work of art tells you maybe more about the artist than it does about the painting itself. And so when you and I look out at the universe and we say, wow, it shouldn't just be the universe that we are amazed at. It should also be the one who put the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. And the one who carved out the mountains and the one who spread out the oceans. Um, just looking out at the world, looking out at the universe, it tells us something about our God. Um, and that's pretty awesome to consider. Our Voyager now, which was lost in the 70s, is now gone outside the sun's sphere. Oh, really? So it's now into... Who knows where? It's just going at about 40, 50,000 miles an hour. And, and you know, they're saying it's never going to end, obviously. Sure. It's just going to go... Wow. And it's still sending signals. It takes three days to get a get a signal back from it at the speed of light. Sure. Wow. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I don't know. 
just going to keep going. Right, right. Yeah, one of the questions that, that people ask is, um, you think about this, you start to think about it critically, right? How could the stars be seen? We talk about light years, right? Um, if God creates the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, how long would it have taken for them to be visible from the earth, right? Um, and of course, the answer is, well, instantly. Well, why? Well, because this is also the God who said, let there be light. He's not just creating the source of light. He's creating the actual beams of light, the actual um, particles, the, 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 the fragments of light. He's filling in everything because as we're going to see at the end of this creation, God is not creating a world or a universe that eventually will be useful. He's not creating a world or a universe that eventually will become what he wants it to be. No, when God says, let there be, it is, and it does. And so when God says, I'm creating this sun, this moon, to give light to the earth, well, its purpose is also created, right? And so now we can talk about light years because we know how long something takes. But in this moment, God said, no, this is your purpose, and its purpose is created, right? Um, so not an issue. All right, day five, verses 20 through 23. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above, uh, let, the, let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kind. There's that phrase again. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Say five, what is God creating? It's kind of interesting. God has this order. It's almost like God is an orderly God and not a chaotic God. Um, he starts outside and works his way back in. So he separates the water from above, from the water below. Um, and then what? He fills it with vegetation. Um, and then he goes back outside and, and, and up into the sky, he fills it with sun, moon, and stars. And then he's creating these um, animals to fill the sky and animals to fill the water, right? And then we'll see on the next day, it's gonna be the land animals, right? It's kind of this outside in, right? That God is working. Um, so the water is going to teem with living creatures and the birds are going to fly above the earth. Um, what's interesting is if you look at that word teem, um, this, this is not a word that we use really anymore today. T-E-E-M. We know what a team is, a sports team, um, a team at your, your job. Um, we know what that is, but that's not what is being referenced here. That the, that the, the water is teeming with living creatures. The word team means to be abundantly full of something, to be completely filled with something. Um, and so isn't it, isn't it interesting? It's safe to say that our creator knows what he's doing. Notice the waters team with sea creatures, but the sky does not team with birds. Can you imagine what might be the case if it were the other way around? A, you would never have heard of a restaurant called Red Lobster because that would have been worthless. Um, and B, there'd be no point in never leaving a building. Um, it'd be like an Alfred Hitchcock movie everywhere, right? I mean, just to, how much of, how much of the ocean have we, have we actually like explored? It's like a super, super small amount, like percentage. Um, and, and, you know, we're constantly discovering new things and new sea creatures and, and things like that. You just imagine, how many shrimp and fish and mammals and you know, sea anemones and, and all of these just random, the, the sea is full of them, right? Today's headline is discovered the largest organism ever bottoms the ocean. Oh, really? I'm not aware. I'm not even what, what does it mean, the largest organism? Sure. What, what is it? Right. Well, I think they also include that, don't they? Largest organism. Don't they include that, like um, the Great Barrier Reef? 
that that's one I know that you know is referenced. It could be something like that. Yeah, not not like a killer whale shark or something that you know is like like two hundred feet long or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, all right, day five, day six. We're getting near the end. Verses twenty four and twenty five. God said. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. There's that phrase again. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. We're not done yet. We're not done with day six. Those are just the land animals. Then we're going to go on. Still on day six. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Um, and to all the the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So, oh, you're fine. You're good. Well, I kind of space it out like that for, for space and to separate. So um, this is really Correct. Yeah. And why is that? <clears throat> There's no death, right? What does it require to be a, a meat eater, to be a, an omnivore or carnivore? It requires death of a, of a physically living thing. Um, and there is no death yet, right? Um, so yeah, God doesn't create um, Adam and Eve, even animals. There are no carnivore animals, right? Um, he says every creature, um, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. Yeah, so everything started as a vegetarian. Um, yeah. Not that way anymore, thank you. I don't, I don't know that I could do it. You, you could do it? Yeah, okay. All right, so day six, what do we have? We've got land animals. Um, so we've got livestock, we've got creatures that move along the ground. I, I tend to think of like reptiles, um, anything else um, that we've got kind of consider a land animal, wild animals that we would consider. And then of course, Adam and Eve. And this is one of those things that we're gonna see is another difference again between creation and evolution. Um, how we view humanity, how we view people. Um, it's interesting to me that if you are uh, an evolutionist, I understand the way that I think most, most of them describe human beings is we are kind of the most highly developed animal, right? And yet if that's the case, we still are animals and we still are descended from these wild creatures. And part of me wants to ask when something like what always happens in our world, these unspeakable acts happen at the hands of human beings from one human being to another. I kind of want to ask them, does, should this really shock you? After all, aren't, aren't we animals? Isn't this kind of part of our, we might be highly developed. We might be really smart. We might have a, uh, quote unquote free will, they would say. However, um, isn't this kind of part of our DNA? Isn't this kind of where we came from? Should we really be surprised to see animals act like animals? But as Christians, we should be shocked. 
in this sense that this is where we came from. Um, now, we're going to see in our next lesson, of course, this has all been ruined, right? Adam and Eve fall into sin and along with it bring every last curse that you and I know and experience in this sinfully broken world. Um, we have an explanation for it. I, I, don't, I don't know what the explanation is from kind of this uh, humanist uh, evolutionary perspective. Um, we can hold one another to a higher standard because this is where mankind comes from. Because we know the, the moral laws that God gives us, that he creates, that he puts in our DNA. Um, so, but here's what God is doing. We got, we, got, we got man and woman, we've got mankind, we've got land, animals. Um, take a look at the bullet points there. Notice the subtle allusion to the triune God in verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image. Um, right? That is it's an interesting way to talk. Um, unless there is this plurality to God, unless there is this kind of multiple personhood of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the term man that is used here, God created, let us make man in our image, is the generic Hebrew term for mankind. There is also a different Hebrew word that is translated man, that's, that refers specifically to the male gender as opposed to female, but that's not what God's using here. So he's not saying, let us make Adam. Let us make the first guy in our image, but not necessarily Eve. No, he's saying, let us make mankind. Let us make humanity. Let us make people. Um, what does it mean that mankind was created in the image of God? Now, this, this does mean a number of different things. Um, and, and a lot of it can, can kind of be boiled down to what is it that makes us different than the animal kingdom? Um, when it, you come to, you know, you think about, uh, you know, our ability to appreciate a, a sunset, um, our, our ability to um, rationally think about and consider things, cognitive um, abilities, um, there's, there's, there's a whole ton of things that separate us from the animal kingdom. And a lot of those things, I would say, are part of this being made in the image of God. However, um, I would say that this is really kind of probably the most important part of it. It's to understand that this is not a physical image. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of get stuck on that. Let us make man in our image. So Adam and Eve look like God. No, it's not a physical image. Uh, because remember, God is spirit. God is invisible, right? God is uh, spirit. He's, he's not like us in that way. Um, but consider the verse that we looked at. This was all the way back in lesson one now. When the Lord says, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That is his essence. That is, in other words, that is his image. That God is holy. That he's set apart from all creation. And what is God doing? He is setting apart mankind, humanity from the rest of creation. And we see this in the, the power and authority that God gives to mankind. The, the, the lion might be the king of the jungle, but he ain't the king of the earth. God says to Adam and Eve, you are going to be the ones who are going to rule over the earth. You're going to subdue it. You're going to be in charge. I'm entrusting it all to you. Adam, you're going to take care of the ground, right? Um, and, and so we, we've got kind of this, this, this picture now of God's image. He's, he's set apart. He's holy. And now God says, I'm going to bring humanity with me. I'm going to make them in my image, set them apart from all the rest of my creation. And again, I, I think this is... This is, this is drastically different than what you see from people who have this simple worldly perspective that, that doesn't have God as a part of it, right? I mean, when you and I look at life, as Christians, we should be able to say every life has intrinsic value. Why? Because of this. Because God chose to make humanity in his image. He didn't do that for the mountain lions. He didn't do that for sheep or ducks or goats or whatever, but he did it for you and me, right? 
Um, and so this idea that a lot of people have when, you know, uh, a mountain lion gets hit on the 405 um, and everybody loses their minds because, oh, well, we're intruding on the mountain lion's territory. How terrible, how sad. We should all just leave and go live somewhere where there's no animals. Um, it's like, no, um, this, is, this is ours. God doesn't give the world to the mountain lions. He gives the mountain lions to us. Now, this doesn't mean that we should just go driving through the hills, running over as many mountain lions as we possibly can. That's not how you take care of something that is entrusted to you. However, um, there, there's nothing wrong with eating a burger or a steak, right? Um, and saying, I I'm gonna use this, I'm gonna eat this, I'm even gonna enjoy it because God gives this to me for my enjoyment. Um, God creates the world for you and me. It is his gift to us. That, that is a, a drastically different worldview than what you and I encounter out there in the world, right? Um, now, again, that should give us reason and motivation as Christians to take care of it, to do what we can, right, um, in, in various ways. Um, but, but this whole kind of elevation that, you know, the, the earth is, is, you know, mother earth, and we've got to like submit ourselves to the earth. Um, it's like, no, it's the other way around, right? Um, God gives to us this creation. It is for us that he makes it. Um, and so we use the things for our enjoyment, for our benefit, for our livelihood. Um, and, and, and then we also, we strive to take care of it. So um, what is the image of God? I would say in a very simple way to kind of summarize that it is holiness. Adam and Eve were created without sin. They were created, their minds, their wills, they thought, um, God's thoughts, they wanted God's, what God wanted, all of those things are in line with Adam and Eve and God, right? Um, and again, this is where we're going to see the wheels fall off in our next lesson, when they lose this image of God and they fall into sin, okay? So the image of God means Adam and Eve were created holy. I think that's just kind of a, a, an easy way um, to remember. Very much so, yep. Very much so, yeah. And we're, we're going to see in our next lesson when sin enters the world, all of the things that you and I know to be true are now a part of it. I mean, I can't even imagine. What is it like to live in a world where there is no sore muscles, there is no aching back, there is no heart, there's no heartache, there's no sorrow, there's no sadness, um, where you go out, you know, there are no weeds, in your, in your lawn, in your garden. I, I can't even imagine what an existence like that is like. However, we're going to get to see it because this is the picture of the new heavens and the new earth. This is what happens, right? It is a recreation of creation. Um, so we'll talk about that in a future lesson. All right, day seven. Let's wrap this up. Genesis chapter two, verses one through three says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So uh, everything is done. He rested from his creating work, meaning he stopped. He concluded he was done. Um, notice here what's I think is kind of interesting. At the end of every day, one through six, um, God referenced what, what we heard Peter say earlier, right? Um, God saw what he had made and it was good, right? And there was evening and there was morning, day one, day two, day three, and so on. And here um, we see that um, everything is very good. Um, this is in the, the, the next section. Um, I don't know if I have it on there. Must not. Behold, he says, um, it was very good. Okay. So what's the difference? Um, the difference is God wasn't done creating after day one two, three, four, five. Um, 
And, and so when he gets to day seven now, everything is very good. And that's what those Hebrew words are at the bottom of your page. They kind of look like Sanskrit or something like that. Um, tov me'od, uh, from right to left is how Hebrew reads. That's what it says, right? Everything was very good. And when God says something is very good, um, it's the way it's supposed to be, right? It's perfect. Yeah. Is that infinite? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the point of it is to kind of say, all right, if, if there's seven days and this is the last day and God isn't creating anything on it, right? So we're not talking about now how long was day one or day two. And then we'll talk a little bit about this in our next section. This is kind of when you get into like, um, you know, if you're going to be, um, yeah, if you're going to be like um, somebody who tries to marry, you know, creation and evolution where, you know, God, God was the one who started the Big Bang and then everything kind of took off. You kind of want to marry these two ideas, right? I know God exists and I know he had some role in creation but I also don't want to deny evolution. Um, and so theistic evolution is the name that's called for us. So this is where people would say, you know, the Bible references day one, but day one, you know, was really like a million years. Um, and yet we would say, well, um, but on day one, it says there was evening and there was morning day one. There was evening and there was morning day two. And again, why is God repeating that every day? Um, I, I mean, you really kind of have to stretch it to try and mean something other than what is a time period in the context of using the word day that involves a period of evening and a period of light. It's 24 hours, right? That's a day. Um, and so what we'll talk about later on is, you know, when you are going to interpret the Bible, the very first rule of, of interpretation is that you start with the natural meaning of the context, meaning you, you read it just as you would read anything else, right? Um, and so context matters. Um, so if, if I get home from, from uh, church and I tell my wife, man, I had a long day at work today. She doesn't immediately go, you were at the office for 24 hours? because context helps you understand how I mean that word, right? And so it's the same thing. Sure, you can use the Hebrew word yom, the Hebrew word day, to mean any number of different things, but the context has to determine how it's used. So when God chooses to repeat, there was evening and there was morning day one. There was evening and there was morning day two. Now remember, the Hebrews did their days differently. I think the way they did it actually makes more sense, especially in, in ancient times when you didn't have electricity, right? When does the day end? Well, the day ends when the sun goes down. <laughs> day is over. That's it. There's no more work. There's no more nothing, right? We're not flipping on the lights and having a you know, movie night at the house. The sun goes down. The day is over. We go to bed and the day starts when the sun comes up, right? So the, the, the day ended at sunset which means that the new day started in darkness. The way we do it makes absolutely no sense. The day changes in the middle of the night for no apparent reason. <laughs> I don't understand how that started or where or why, but the way that, that, that ancients did it, the day started in darkness. It started with an evening, actually. Um, so when God says there was evening and morning day one, we think of that and go, well, that's backwards. There should be morning and evening day one, but that isn't the way that they did their time. Um, and so again, when, when God says this with every day, um, there was a period of evening and a period of morning day one. That is the context that has to determine how we understand the word day. And so if you're going to say, well, day one was actually a million years, you have to prove to me from the text that, that you can defend that. 
and you can't. Well, and here's what's interesting. God said that too. Exactly what you just said. Go back to day four. And what was another purpose that God gave to the sun and moon? To help determine days and seasons and all of those things, right? Um, and we still do this. My wife, my wife is a teacher. Um, and so, you know, she will say when, you know, one of the things, I, it's probably like day one when you're, when you're training to be a teacher, you got to pay attention to the moon. Because when it's a full moon, kids are nuts. They go crazy. And it's true. Um, and every time, like, I mean, our kids are always crazy, but when they go crazier, um, I, she'll always circle up. It's a full moon. I don't know what I expected. That just, it has an effect on everything, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, again, I think that's all part of it. So e even, even that, we'd look at it and go, um, yeah, well, yeah, we, we can tell the seasons, you know? Um, I can tell when we're in the winter, even though it might not necessarily be snowing here, I can tell because half of my backyard doesn't grow grass because the sun never gets high enough to go over the fence. It's just lower. I, I know what time of year it is, even if you drop me here, you know, um, not having a clue when or, or where I was. So all of those things, we just, the creation account, there's nothing here other than what you referenced, Peter, the, the age of the earth. There's nothing here that we would look at and say, out there in the, the universe, out there from what we can observe scientifically, there's nothing out there that would contradict anything we have about the creation account. Um, and even the date and the age of the universe, we'll, we'll talk about that next week, but even that, right? Um, science acts like it's got this thing down to some sort of mathematical equation. I don't remember when it was, a couple months ago, maybe it was a year ago now, um, uh, the scientific community came out and said, um, yeah, you know, we've seen some new things and we've discovered a new way to kind of measure the expanse of the universe. And the world is actually like 3 billion years younger than we thought. And it's like ho-hum, like no big deal. It's like, that's a big deal, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're raising an entire generation of people saying, this is fact, this is reality, this is what it is. Oh, by the way, you know, we were off by like 3 billion years. Um, and, and so I, I would say even what the scientific community wants to you know, pass off as fact, right? Much of it is still theoretical science. There's a reason it's still called the theory of evolution, right? I know they dropped that word a long time ago, but it doesn't make it any less of a theory, right? Um, this week when I was in Arizona, I went to the Elk Service Castle and to the Elk Service Well. And talking to a ranger, he said, you know, this well has been bubbling water for about 10,000 years. And, yeah. there's two, and there's about 200,000 gallons coming out of there for the last 10,000 years. Okay. So I said, oh, are you telling me then that there were people 10,000 years ago here? Oh, yeah, 40,000 years ago sure. for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Sure. Yeah. But that's how the, that's yeah. how the people see it. Right. Yeah, it's like the, the example that I use is if, if you've ever been like to a lake on a really calm day um, and you're standing there on the shoreline and your friend is out in the middle of the lake on a, on a boat and he throws something into the lake and the rings and the ripples, obviously it's gonna start out in the shape of whatever that thing was, right? So if you could slow it down and have a camera that could capture that, the ripples are going to come out in the, in the shape of whatever that object was that you threw in. But here's the problem. You and I are not the person throwing the thing into the boat. God is. God's the one who's there at the beginning saying, here's how it all started. You and I are on the shoreline trying to figure out what was that and when did you throw it by looking at whatever the sliver of ripple is that happens to wash up over our feet. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make some guesses on it, 
maybe even some decent ones, right? Um, based on the, the, you know, the, the size of the ripple and, you know, whatever. But you're, you're, you're looking at this sliver of something and trying to guess, right? So, yeah, you can make guesses. Um, but to say that, you know, categorically, I, have, I can tell you everything exactly about how this happened. It's, it's beyond crazy. Um, and yet here we have, God is right there at the center of it, telling us, here's how I did it. Here's the order in which I created everything. And nothing in this order of creation contradicts anything that we see in the world around us, that we observe scientifically. Um, it's only when you get into that kind of theoretical science that it's going to start running contrary to. If this is the way God made it, then science should support it. And, you know, just the example of, according to their kinds, supports it, right? Um, that would just be one example. Um, so... All right, um, we're gonna stop there tonight. It's at eight, eight o'clock. So uh, we got through the first week. Next week, we're gonna take a look at Genesis chapter two, kind of a, a condensed version of Genesis chapter one. We're gonna see on the top of page 17. Um, we're gonna have some of the gaps filled in. Day one, chapter one, or chapter one of Genesis is just kind of a, like a bullet point. Here's what happened on day one, day two, day three, day four. You get through the first week, Chapter two is going to go back into the first week of creation and kind of weave us through some of the more, um, you know, close details of how this happened, what it looked like. Um, and then we'll get into and we'll kind of conclude um, this lesson with uh, by looking at a lot of the things we've already been talking about, kind of comparing creation, evolution, um, and then science. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Sorry about the technical difficulties. I don't know why that happened, but I'm glad it only happened early on and uh, look forward to seeing you next week, if not sooner. Good night. Good night.